invite you guys to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And uh, the title of this message, and actually what you're going to do is, uh, is, as we go a little bit further into the, the message, you're going to put your finger in Romans chapter 8 and your thumb on 1 John chapter 3. And we'll, we're not going to flip back and forth, but we're going to spend the, the last half of the sermon in Romans chapter 8. Um, but the title of this message is called The Assurance of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's great that Rick's heart was burdened for that, that we could have assurance of our salvation, that we could know that we know that we know that we're saved, and not by emotion or anything else, but by truth, right? And if I had to sum this sermon up in a sentence, it would say, believers can have assurance of their salvation by the Holy Spirit that resides in them. Believers can have assurance of their salvation by the Holy Spirit that resides in them. And I want to read you guys the key verse of, of the whole book of 1 John. The key verse is found in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. What he's saying is these things I've written to you who know Jesus Christ. I've written these things to you who believe in Jesus Christ so that you may know that you know that you know that you're saved. Okay? These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The entire theme of 1 John is that as believers, we can have assurance of our salvation. We can know. You know, John gives us 10 areas that we, uh, that we can, these are 10 areas that I've found at least. John gives us 10 areas that we can have assurance of our salvation. And, and these aren't in any kind of particular order of importance or anything. They're just chronological through the book. And so we've covered a bunch of these so far. Um, let, let me go through them real quick. Uh, one of the first areas that we can have assurance of our salvation is, is that we have the right doctrine of Christ. That we know that God, that Christ was both God and both man. That he came to this world born of a virgin, right? He lived a sinless, perfect life. That he died on the cross for our sins. That he resurrected after three days. That he ascended to the right hand of the Father. That he's coming back. Okay, the next thing is that, the second point is that we could have the right uh, doctrine of sin. Knowing that, that we uh, were sinners from the beginning, uh, all the way from total depravity to, to this repentance, right? That we've got to have the right doctrine of sin. Not that we can continue to sin after we're saved because so grace could increase. Not at all. But that we would know what to do with our sin, right? Um, the third point is, uh, or the third way is, is the obedience to God. That we would be obedient to what God has told us to do. The fourth is love, that we would love God, that we would love others. The fifth is that we would not love the world or the things of the world. That's an assurance of your salvation. It's a test. And the sixth was the perseverance of the saints or that those who are saved will endure till the end. The seventh was the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit and truth, meaning, meaning that you have this kind of built-in lie detector, right? That you would be able to discern the spirits, that you would be able to, to tell what was true and what was false doctrine. Um, the eighth was that your prayers are answered, that you would know uh, that, that you have assurance of your salvation by your answered prayers. The ninth one, which we're going to cover today, is the residence of the Holy Spirit. And the tenth one is confidence and judgment. We'll cover that here in the next few weeks. But like I said, tonight we come to our ninth test, the, the ninth way that, that we as Christians can have assurance of our salvation and it's the residence of the Holy Spirit. So like I said, 1 John chapter 3, looking at verse 24. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. Um, we're grateful to be able to be in this building, to meet together as a body, to meet together as a family without persecution. 
And Father, I pray today that you would give each one of us an assurance of our salvation. For the lost sinner that's here in this room today, I pray that you would put them under such heavy conviction that you would draw them to you, that they wouldn't be able to leave this place without knowing that they know that they know that they're going to go to heaven when they die because they've placed their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, also for those of us who are saved, that we can lose sight of all this, trying to keep it, uh, uh, trying to keep score of our good works or trying to base our salvation on merit or how well we kept the law, that we could lose sight of this possible thinking of that we could lose our salvations. But God, that you would give us uh, assurance that we're saved and that we would hold on to that because of what you tell us in your word, that we're sealed and we've been bought with a price. So Lord, I just pray that you would help me to preach tonight, that you would get me out of my way, that you would open the hearts and the ears and the eyes of those who are listening in this congregation. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, the first part of verse 24. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. So the first point is that Christians keep the commandments of Christ. Um, so we who love Jesus can be easily marked out by our obedience to what Christ has commanded us to do. Uh, you know, the, in, in John fourteen fifteen, he says that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And when I say commandments, many of us probably think about the Ten Commandments, right? Y'all probably think about the law that we fail to keep perfectly. Uh, and looking at it through the wrong lens can kind of place a pretty heavy burden on our backs when we look at the law or the word commandments through the wrong lens. And I want you to know this, though, that Christ came to fulfill the law, that he alone kept the law perfectly, and he did what we could never do. Every single one of those Ten Commandments he kept, and he did it perfectly. He alone was sinless, and he alone made a way for whoever would call on his name to be saved. So keeping his commandments doesn't have to be burdensome. It doesn't have to be a heavy load on our back, right? So when we look at it through the lens of what Christ did for us in his life, death, and resurrection, it becomes a whole lot lighter, amen? Because he done it all. So it's not a heavy load when we read that the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. In fact, it's comforting to know that we aren't saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. It's comforting to know that we're not saved by keeping the law. And it's even more comforting to know that Jesus fulfilled the law and that he seeks to give us rest, right? Stop, cease striving and know that I'm the Lord. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 29, it says, Come to me, all you who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I know what you're thinking. You're saying, amen, I'm thankful that Jesus fulfilled the law so that I don't have to. But there's still these commandments that John's talking about here in, this, in verse 24, right? And he's basically saying that if I'm, if I'm actually in Christ and Christ is in me, then I will keep these commandments. Uh, so what exactly are the commandments of Christ that John's talking uh, what exactly are the commandments of Christ that John is talking about here? Uh, we we kind of need to know these things, right? So in the context of this passage and seen by the life of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the commandments that John is talking about is love. That's the, main, that's the main commandments that he's talking about. How do I know? You look at verse 23. When you're trying to decipher a verse, you always look at the verse above it. You look at the context of everything, right? So verse 23. This is his commandment. It's plain as day right here. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So there's a ton of Old Testament commandments. There was a good amount of issues that Jesus got to, right? So we think of the Old Testament commandments. 
You think about thou shalt not murder, um, thou shalt not commit adultery, uh, honor your mother and your father, remember the Sabbath, right? These are all Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. And you think that Jesus, he, in, 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 in Matthew chapter 5 and stuff, he, he really got to the heart of a lot of these issues, right? That murder begins in the heart, adultery begins with the eyes, all these things, right? So there's a ton of these commandments. Yes, there's several commandments that Jesus Christ gives, but, but our Lord summed them all up in, in Matthew chapter 22. And let me flip over there real fast. You don't have to go there. But in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, he sums them all up like this. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the, this is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like that. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So we start off with, with this love for God. We start off with this love for God that we love Him with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength. And if we love God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength, then we're going to love Him and, and know Him in His fullness as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Are you tracking with me? And if we love God, then we're going to love His Son because God is triune in nature, right? So God is the Trinity. When I say that, He's the Trinity. He's three and one. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we love God, we love God in His fullness as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? You can't have one without the other. It's got to be all, right? Because He is all three in one. Loving God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength ultimately places us to believing in Jesus Christ, who is God who was born of a virgin, who lived this perfect, sinless life, who was betrayed by the hands of sinners, betrayed by his friend, who was tortured, who was, who was beaten and whipped and chained and, and, and nailed to a cross, who was, who was killed, who was stabbed in the side, who was buried in the tomb, who laid there for three days, who resurrected after the third day, who ascended to the right hand of the Father, who seated at the right hand of the Father, and who is returning. That's the Jesus that I'm talking about. So loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength ultimately places us in believing in that Jesus, right? The Jesus who saves, the only one true God, that Jesus. And when we believe in Jesus, who do we receive? When we believe in the name of the Son of the Lord, who do we receive? The Holy Spirit, right? The promised Holy Spirit. So the, that, that's the first commandment listed by, by John in verse 23. And it's the most important and the most crucial decision that we're ever going to make, okay, is, is knowing God, is knowing Jesus, is believing in Jesus Christ and exercising your faith. That's the most important and crucial decision you're ever going to make. And if we don't make that decision, if we don't choose to love God, then there's going to be no eternal life, but uttermost separated from God for all of eternity and darkness where there's gnashing of teeth. Where the worm never quits eating, where the fire is never quenched. So, so if, we, if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, then loving others is impossible. And the next, quick, next commandment that John gives us in verse 23 is, is pretty simple. It's, it's simple, but yet it's pretty complicated. It's to love others. And to reiterate what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're not going to do yourself no harm, right? At least you're going to try not to. You ain't going to throw yourself off a bridge or punch yourself in the face, these things, right? So you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. You're going to provide for your neighbor as you would provide for yourself, right? You guys are sleeping out there, ain't you? You wake up. Everybody stand up, stretch. We do it like youth group, you know what I mean? You guys jump up three times. <laughs> I'm kidding, man. Settle down. <laughs> 
Anyways, think about a couple weeks ago, because it's been a while since I've been here. I've crashed a lot of things since then, right? So a, a couple weeks ago, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, uh, love for others. And remember what, what love, uh, to love others is all about. To love others is to forgive others. To love others is to serve others. To love others is to sacrifice for others. To love others is to love them as Jesus loves them. Amen? Amen. It's a hard thing to do. But with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, it becomes possible, right? So keeping these commandments is crucial as Christians. It's absolutely important to love God and to love others. And when we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, when we believe in the name of of the Son, Jesus Christ, when all of this love flows out of us in love for others, we then can know that we can have assurance that we're saved. Amen? And we can rest from working to be perfect. We can see striving to make it to heaven on our own. Because we've been born again by the Spirit of the living God. Amen. One of the signs of being born again, uh, the big promise of genuine salvation is the Holy Spirit that's living inside of the believer. That's the, the big promise to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. And keeping these commandments and living the Christian life, like I said earlier, is, is impossible without the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The one that's least talked about, I think. The, the forgotten member, it seems to be. The Holy Spirit. So look at verse 24, the second part of that. We know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. So this is going to be the time that we jump over to Romans chapter 8. As far as I know, I ain't going to be back over there in, in 1 John chapter 3. Um, let, me, let me get a drink of water here. So the second point that I have for you tonight is the work of the Holy Spirit and the life of the believer. So when he says that, Um, when he says we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us, it's important to know what that spirit does in our life. It's important to know how the Holy Spirit works in the life of a believer, right? So being a Christian, like I said earlier, is impossible without the Holy Spirit. You just can't do it without without the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And this is the most notable test of being uh, born again. So I got to ask the question, do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit residing in your heart and in your, in your body? Are you a temple of the Holy Spirit? I got to ask you this, what spirit controls your life? Is, are you led by the Holy Spirit or are you led by the Spirit of the Antichrist? Are you led by the flesh or are you led by the Holy Spirit? Are, are you under the control of the Holy Spirit or are you still underneath the power of Satan? What spirit are you led by? The proof is whether or not the Spirit lives inside of you. And what this scripture is saying is that we know Jesus lives in us because the Spirit, because of the Spirit Christ Himself gave to us the moment that we believed. It was like that. You didn't get a second indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The moment that you exercised, exercised faith and believed in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ, you received the Holy Spirit. It was just like that. Amen? This evening, I, I want to look at six ways that the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer that are found in Romans chapter 8. Uh, the first way that the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer is, is that the Holy Spirit gives life. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 11 here real quick. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You. So the Bible tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That we were unable to come to Jesus Christ on our own. Amen? 
We, we, we pretty much just stunk. In the moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden when they ate of the forbidden fruit, they, they brought death into the world, right? Their, their sin brought death to all men. Romans chapter 5 verse, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as, though, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, no, not one. There's not one perfect person in this room. There's not one perfect person in the universe. Every single person in mankind has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? There's no one who says, I'm perfect now. I don't sin. There might be somebody who says that, but it's not true. We're all dead because we have sinned. But we need life, right? We need a resurrection in our dead bodies. We need God to give life to our mortal bodies through His Spirit. Amen? Amen. And this is regeneration. It's an act of, of God alone. It's, it's Ezekiel 36 where, where He says, I'm going to sprinkle you with clean water. So God cleans us up. He cleanses us. He, he removes our heart of stone and He puts in us a heart of flesh that feels. And it's alive, right? Amen. And it's beating again. Uh, and, and He gives us a new spirit. He, it, it, what's this new spirit do? It causes us to walk in His statutes. It's His Holy Spirit that makes us be obedient to God. Amen? Amen. So what are His statutes? His major statutes is this. To believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and to love others. Amen? Amen. Spirit gives us life and enables us to exercise faith in Jesus Christ. And if God has, had not worked in us through His Holy Spirit, we would remain dead and we'd be unable to come to Christ. But since God began the work in us, uh, there's a Casting Crown song that, that, that sings, um, Love Moved First. I'm grateful that that love moved first because if God hadn't have moved, I wouldn't be seeking God. I wouldn't have came to Christ. No one seeks after God. They're but dead, dead, dead. Amen? We're all just going our own way in darkness. Chained up. Rick could preach this a lot better in Psalms 107, but they're chained up in darkness and chains. But God moved and love moved first and He broke the bondage of chains and He broke the bondage of sin and death and He brought us to life and He conveyed us from darkness into light into the kingdom of His Son. And that's something to shout about. Are you happy about that if you've received that today? Amen. But since God began the work in us through His Spirit, bringing us from death to life, we then are able to believe in Christ and be saved. It's regeneration and conversion happens all at the same time. It's, this two, it's two sides of the same coin, right? Regeneration is God's part in it. And this conversion is your part with God in this matter. You have to believe. Nobody can make you believe. Your grandma and your grandpa can't make you believe. Your wife, your husband can't make you believe. God won't even make you believe. But He will give you the life that's necessary for you to believe. Amen. Spirit gives us life. And the second way that the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer is that the Holy Spirit sanctifies. Look at verse 12 here in Romans 8. Let me find it. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So as Christians, we got to kill ourselves every day. Kill yourself. We must, we must die daily. We must be crucified daily. We've got to take our old stinking flesh and walk it over to the cross every single day and nail 16 penny nails into the hands and the feet and make sure it stays there. We have to die to ourselves daily. We have to crucify our flesh. Romans 12 gives us this beautiful paradox where he says, 
to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. We must be set apart from the world. We've got to be set apart from the flesh. We've got to be set apart from the devil. Sanctification means to be set apart, okay, for God's purposes. We don't do this in our own will, but we can, we can only do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We have this drive. When the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, we have this drive and this initiative uh, to set aside the ways that we used to live in and to be more and more like Jesus every single day. The only way that this happens, like I said, is through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And in our new nature, He's, he's convicting us. He's compelling us. He's making us desire this godliness. In essence, we're saying, I don't want to live this way. I don't, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't, I don't want to do drugs anymore. I don't want to drink alcohol anymore. I don't want to sleep with him or her anymore. I don't want to lie anymore or cheat anymore. I don't want to do these bad things. I don't want to look at this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I want to be more like Jesus. That is, in essence, what sanctification looks like. Amen? Can anybody testify to that today? That they're saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I hate my old life. I hate that darkness. I want to live for Jesus. I want to be more like him. Can you testify to that today? Amen. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to obey God and bring the desires of my flesh into submission. We've got to wrestle our flesh, and I don't do this perfectly. I feed my flesh some days. And you know what happens? Everything else starts to fall apart the more and more I feed my flesh. But, but it's saying this. I don't want my flesh to rule over me anymore. I desire Christ likeness. I want to be more like Christ. The third way that the, um, the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer is uh, that the Spirit leads us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. I'm so happy to be called a son of God. Amen. Are you happy to be called a son or a daughter of God? He's my father. He'll never let me down. I'm going to let my son down, but he'll never let me down. Amen? Amen. And this is kind of just a sort of a spinoff of the last point. But, but the Spirit leads us who are Christians. We don't always allow the Spirit to lead us perfectly, right? Like we like to get in our own way. One of the best things I've ever heard was Paul Choate say this. We never know how to get out of our own way. Sometimes we're our own worst enemies. We can't get out of our own way. We don't want the Spirit to lead us sometimes. We want to step right in the middle of it. But we try as Christians, right? We try. And as we make decisions and as we interact with people, as we do counseling, as all those things, we're asking the Spirit to lead us. We're praying. We're saying, God, I don't know how to do this, but would you lead me in this direction? Would you lead me in this calling to Omaha to go start a church with my father-in-law? Would you, would you lead me to this next job? Would you lead me as I interact with this person? I have to meet with them over this brokenness that's in their lives. Lord, would you teach me and show me what to do here? I need direction. I need you to grab my hand and I need you to drag me sometimes, but would you lead me, Spirit? That's what we're saying, amen? It's more than that, though. Since the Spirit is God, the Spirit knows and searches the mind of the Father. Amen? So ultimately, the Spirit knows God's will better than anyone. So when you're being led by the Spirit, you're in the will of God because He knows the heart and the thought and the intentions of the Father. He's going to lead you according to the Father's will. Amen? There's no better place to be but in the will of God. 
So the Spirit is leading us as Christians in the perfect will of God. But we have to daily submit to His will as we nail, as I said earlier, as we nail our flesh to the cross. We set aside our own desires and we pursue the Spirit's leading. It's hard for me to do sometimes. Because on Mondays I want to go fishing. And Mondays I want to go golfing. And Mondays I want to do other things. Uh, but, but, but sometimes the Spirit's lead me into doing something else. And I don't really want to go and do those things because I want to have me time, right? Set aside my own desire and pursue the Spirit. What's He telling me to do? It's not every Monday it's like that, guys. So next month, this Monday I ain't going to be doing no fishing or golf because I'm busy. But next Monday, you, you want to go fishing? We'll be there, bud. <laughs> I don't got a boat. He's got a boat. <laughs> oh, man. So the next way. Hey, Pete, you're my backup buddy. You want to go fishing together? Sorry, this ain't the time for that. I'm sorry, Lord. The, the next way that the Spirit works in the life of the believer is that the Spirit adopts. What a beautiful word. Look at verse 15 and, and verse 8. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Think about the adoption process for a little bit here. Um, there's a family, say for instance, a mother and a father. Maybe they can't take care of their child and, and they give it up for adoption. Maybe they're young or something like that and they, they just can't do it. So they give the child up for adoption. And a family that's able to, a family that's desiring, maybe they can't have kids. I don't know. But a family that's desiring this kid, they go and they see the kid, they see the child, they want the child, they take the child home and they care for it, right? And, and it's more than that. Maybe it's, maybe it's a family that's broken. Maybe, maybe it's a mother or a father that's strung out on drugs and they lose the child. And then here comes God sending a family to take in that child that's going to care for that child, that's going to give that child a room, that's going to put clothes on his back, that's going, to put, that's going to discipline the child like he should be disciplined, that's going to love on the child like he should be loved, that's going to give him the same amount of inheritance as he's going to give, uh, as the family would give their blood siblings or their blood children, right? Amen? That's what adoption looks like. And that's what He's done for us. He's made us sons and He's made us daughters. We were once sons of, and daughters of Satan. We were slaves to sin. But God demonstrates His love towards us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? Amen. And because of the beautiful and bloody cross, we can be adopted. Amen. God's seen us and He chose us knowing exactly who we would be. He knew I was going to be a junkie. He knew I was going to be a thief. He knew I was going to be a criminal. He knew that, that y'all was going to be a liar or somebody was going to be a cheater. That, that you would be a hypocrite. He knew all the things about you. He didn't adopt us because we were cute or because we were talented or because we, perfectly, or because we behaved perfectly. No, He saw a sin-sick sinner who needed to be rescued from the bondage of sin and death. He saw a child in trouble. He saw a child drowning. What did He do? He reached down and He grabbed their hand and He said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to adopt you. Know my Son, Jesus Christ, and be saved from your sin. Amen? Let me tell you something, church. He's prepared to always go the extra mile with you. Okay? Because we bring a lot of baggage to the table, right? I'm a mess, bro. I'm a mess. I bring a lot of baggage to the table. And God always goes the extra mile with me. He never gives up on me. He never forsakes me. He will never leave me. Because I'm His child and He loves me. And I can cry out to Him and I can say, Abba, Father. I can cry out to Him and I can say, Papa or Daddy, 
Not fearfully, but in reliance and dependability on Him. As I need you, Father, help me. And He'll always be there. He'll never let me down. The next way that the Spirit works in the life of the believer is that the Spirit testifies in our lives. Look at Romans 8, 16. The Spirit Himself, the Spirit Himself, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And there's some debate about this verse, but it's not some inner like mystical voice that's speaking inside of your heart and your soul that's, that's testifying and saying that it's, it's this back and forth with your spirit and this spirit saying that you're a child of God. That's not what this means. Um, and what this is, this is the Holy Spirit of God testifying as a witness. Think about the courtroom. Many of us know what a courtroom looks like. He is testifying. What does a person... Who is a person that testifies in a courtroom? Usually a witness. And what do they come with? They come with some sort of evidence, right? So he's testifying uh, as a witness, as if in a courtroom. It's the Holy Spirit of God testifying as a witness that we have been adopted by the Father. And it's evident by the fruits that He, God the Spirit, produces in us. Amen? It is the Holy Spirit testifying each time He gives us power to answer the call of God. It's Him testifying every time He gives us that strength. It's the Holy Spirit saying, yes, Father, this is your child because I live inside of them. He comes with evidence, right? And the, the last way, uh, at least in Romans 8, this, the Holy Spirit works in a multitude, a myriad of ways in the life of the believer. But here in, here in Romans chapter 8, the last way that I see that the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer is that the Spirit makes us heirs. I don't know how to say that. Heirs? Heirs, yeah, heirs. H-E-I-R-S, not errors, but heirs. Almost like heirs, except different. So the Spirit makes us heirs. Romans 8, 17. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may be glorified with Him. Every Christian has been made an heir of God. And our inheritance is eternal salvation, right? So you have this heir, like you understand what I'm saying when I'm saying heir, right? There's a king who has an heir that will inherit the kingdom and inherit everything else, right? So in this same sense, keep that in your mind. Um, Our inheritance is eternal salvation. Our inheritance as heirs is God himself. What greater inheritance is there than that to inherit God himself, amen? It's, It's glory. It's the entire kingdom of God. It's everything in the universe. And Roman law declared that the, uh, that the inheritance was divided equally among all the children. It didn't matter how many you had. It was divided equally among all the children. So it protected the possessions that had been inherited. Think about that. It protected the possessions that had been inherited. And through the Spirit, when God saved us and caused us to be born again, He made us heirs of eternal inheritance that is protected by His seal of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So our inheritance cannot be lost. It cannot be bought. cannot be stolen. As saved believers of Jesus Christ, we are heaven-bound for eternal glory. Amen? Nobody can take that from us. Nobody can separate you from the love of God. No height, no depth, nothing. Not even yourself. But it's more than that. We're joint heirs. We're joint heirs with Christ. God has declared Christ heirs of all things. And by divine right, we too are heirs of all things in Christ Jesus, our Lord, our King, our Savior, and our brother. 
And then he says, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. I want to read to you um, two, uh, two quotes from two prominent people, John MacArthur and John Piper. John MacArthur says, uh, if indeed we, uh, on, this, on this part, if indeed we suffer with him. John MacArthur says that this is proof of the, of the believer's ultimate glory is that they suffer. Proof of the believer's ultimate glory is that they suffer because of their Lord. Whether it comes as mockery, ridicule, or physical persecution. Proof of the believer's ultimate glory is that they suffer. And then John Piper said that this suffering is producing a peculiar eternal weight of glory. Amen. It's all, it's not for nothing. However, you're suffering for Christ. It's producing for you glory in heaven. Stay with me here as we, as we close up. Um, so how do we keep his commandments? We keep his commandments by walking in the spirit, right? We keep his commandments by ensuring that we have the Holy Spirit that's living inside of us. And how do we get that spirit? If you're asking, how can I receive the Holy Spirit today? You, you just got to be born again. You have to believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ. Or you got to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, the Lord uh, uh, of the entire universe. You have to believe in him and make him your Lord and you can be born again. Salvation is not working and striving to be perfect. Salvation is not keeping the Ten Commandments and keeping the law perfectly. And I know that some of you guys in here might come from a legalistic background. Uh, you might think that you have to, to, to keep uh, communion or you, you might think that you have to be confirmed or you might think that you have to keep confession in order to be saved. You might think that you have to do this or you have to do that in order to be saved. And, and you notice that no matter how hard you try, you can't keep it all. You can't do it all. And it leads you to a place of feeling unworthy of salvation. And it might even lead you to a place of thinking that you can lose your salvation, right? And I want you to know that we cannot work our way to heaven. Remember what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What do you rest from? You rest from work. You rest from labor. Cease striving and know that I'm the Lord. Jesus is rest. It's that simple. I know you feel like, I know some of you probably feel like you don't measure up. Like you never be good enough. And no matter how hard you try, you'll never add up. That nobody wants you. That you have no purpose. You wonder, what am I here for? I can't do it anyways, right? I'll never be good enough. I want you to know this, that God is near to the brokenhearted and you're in the right place right now. God is near to the brokenhearted and you're trying to please all the wrong people. Stop giving your loyalty to the wrong people. Stop being a people pleaser. Trust in the Lord and you will be saved. Remember this, that Jesus paid it all and he's offering you a free gift of salvation in eternal life today. So receive the spirit of the living God. Be set free from sin and the law. Walk in the spirit so you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Walk in the Spirit and allow God to lead your life. So Christians keep the commandments of Christ, not because they have to, but because they want to. And because, and because they have a, a, a Holy Spirit fire that's burning inside of them, like that on the day of Pentecost, that compels them to live out their lives in accordance to God's Word and to what He desires. Amen? So cease striving. Stop striving and working for your salvation. Christian, stop living like you can lose your salvation. Have rest. Have assurance. Know that you know that you know. Take that check to the bank. It's going to cash. Amen. Jesus is rest. 
Trust in God. Listen to the Spirit as He testifies. And He says, yes, Father, this is your son. This is your daughter. Remember, believers can have assurance of their salvation by the Holy Spirit that resides within them. Let's pray. So, Lord, we love you. I'm super thankful, God, that you've allowed us another evening in this place to to just proclaim your word and to worship and to fellowship. And, and God, I just pray a special blessing upon all these people here today, Lord, that, that you would draw them to you, uh, those who don't know Christ, and, and God, that you would um, help them to, to rest from their works, um, to, to rest from their insecurities, uh, to, to not think that every time they stumble and fall that they've lost their salvation, God, but that you would give them assurance that they know that they know that they know that they're saved because they have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them. God, I pray that you would motivate us to holiness and sanctification as this church. And I pray, God, that you would help us to reach all four corners of the world here, starting at Waymaker Baptist Church, here in this little hole in the wall in South Omaha. Do a mighty work, Lord, here in this place and in our lives. Change our lives forever, Lord, starting today. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.